Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, team. A friend of mine who is now gone to be with the Lord was speaking to a men's breakfast, and the subject was the tragedy of missed opportunities. After he spoke, a man came up to him, and he said to him, thank you for coming and for speaking to us, but I'm really sorry that you came and spoke to us. Now, if you've ever done any speaking, there's nothing warms the heart of a speaker <laughs> than to hear something like that at the end of the talk. And the speaker was puzzled to say nothing of being offended and taken back. But mercifully, the man continued. And he said, the reason I'm sorry you came and you spoke on this topic is because you have reminded me afresh that I have missed God's best for my life. I once felt that God was calling me to missions, and I thought that I would make just enough money first. Now I've made enough money for three lifetimes, and yet I have deep regret inside of me. There's a regret that I missed out on God's best for me. My friend very wisely very wisely said to him, in God's economy, it is never too late. In God's economy, it is never too late. My beloved friends, you know that I believe that with every ounce of my being. In God's economy, it is never too late. Can you say that with me? In God's economy, I know there are some people who live their lives in regret. That's a very sad thing. Some feel that they have missed on past opportunities that came their way, that presented to them, and they feel it's too late. But God's Word from cover to cover tells us that God is in the redeeming business, that God is in the restoration business that God is in the forgiveness business. God is not in the regretting business. God is not in the moping business. God is not in the too late business. Whatever opportunities that you feel you've missed out on or whatever open doors that you did not walk through when you felt that you should, whatever uh, situation that knocked on your door in the past uh, but you did not respond it is never what? Too late. Let me repeat it again. It's never? Too late. I pray God will print that on the cortex of our minds today. Now, to be sure, these opportunities that come now uh, not come in the same way or same time or same place, but it can be just as effective it can be just as effective if you are willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Say what? Yes, Lord, here I am. Yes, Lord, I am willing to walk through today's open doors. Today you can turn a new leaf. 
In today's letter of Jesus, the glorified, magnified Jesus in heaven, to the believers in the church of Philadelphia, is about the open door. It's all about the open doors. <laughs> Listen, of all the seven letters we've been seeing, those of you visiting with us, we're looking at the glorified Jesus in heaven, give, sending letters, seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor through the Apostle John when he was in the island of Potamos in exile, and God gave him the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorified, resurrected Jesus, gave him letters to, del to deliver to each one of those churches. And we've been going through that semicircle all the way from Potamos to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamum to Thyatira to Sardis, and today we come to Philadelphia. Of all the seven letters, and we have already seen five of those, this is the sixth. <laughs> this is the most delightful letter of all of them. It's the most delightful letter. These people must have brought joy to the heart of Jesus. Because in this letter in, to the church of Philadelphia, and that's not Pennsylvania, this is the church of Philadelphia in Asia Minor, there is not a single sin in which he's chastising them for. You don't find a, a compromise uh, to point out to. You do not find false teaching that he's warning them against. There is no false teachers that, he, that they need to purge from their midst, as we've seen in the other churches and the other uh, locations. If, if you notice, of all the seven churches, I must confess to you, that's the church I want to belong to. But then I would ruin it for them. I really would. Remind me of a story of the great preacher of yesteryear in London. This man, if you don't heard the name, Charles Spurgeon, he was preaching to 5,000 people on Sunday without microphones, <laughs> before microphones in the, in the 1800s. And somebody came to him and said, Mr. Spurgeon, I've done a lot of research and I've found the perfect church. Upon which Spurgeon said to him, for God's sake, don't join it. You ruin it for all of them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. As long as a church is made up of people, there is no such thing as a perfect church any more than there is a perfect marriage. When people tell me, oh, there's a marriage made in heaven, I said, yes, so is thunder and lightning. <laughs> there is no such a thing as perfect church. To be sure, there is such a thing as a faithful church and there is unfaithful church. There is such a thing as a biblically sound church and biblically unsound church. There is such a thing as Christ-centered church and there is a man-centered church. There is such a thing as God-honoring church or God-dishonoring church. That is there, but no such thing as a perfect church. So now, let me ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. And we have been watching Jonathan read the, the Bible uh, letters from each location, and we had visual pictures of these cities, but unfortunately, 
this was 10 years ago, when they got to Philadelphia, the, the, before they got to Philadelphia, the driver got sick and they didn't make it, so we're just going to have the sound. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, please, do not allow us to hear a man or even a voice of a man, but to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. May he, the Spirit of Jesus, move freely around us, that he may encourage <clears throat> and strengthen those who are discouraged, and may he rebuke those who are living in arrogance but may, may he ultimately do his work, whatever he wants to do in us. Begin with me, for I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you just a few important things about the city of Philadelphia in Asia Minor. Uh, the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia was the crossroad of the region. In fact, it was called the gateway to the east. And so east and west meet in that town. It was a city, had many temples, uh, and was founded in B.C. 189, 189 B.C. by King Atlas. King Atlas succeeded his older brother, King Eumenes of Pergamum. Out of deep love for his older brother, he loved this older brother whom he succeeded up to the throne. King Atlas named the city Philadelphia or brotherly love. It was a city that stood as a memorial for the love of a two brothers have for one another. But beyond all of that, it's because Philadelphia was strategically located, strategically placed as the gateway between the east and the west. Uh, the Greeks used it as a springboard. They used it being a gateway and being the way to the east. The, they, the Greeks used it to take and propagate 
the Greek culture, the Greek language, the Greek philosophy to the rest of the world. Uh, some, some of you might be asking, well, why the Greeks were so anxious to export their philosophy and their culture and their language and, 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 and so on? And that's a great question, and I'm really very happy to answer it, because the Greeks back then considered themselves to be more sophisticated than the rest of the world. I mean, they were cut above. They are refined and have refined culture. Um, and therefore, they felt the obligation to spread that kind of uh, thought, that kind of philosophy to the rest of the world, whom they called barbarians. They thought, the Greeks back then thought everybody else other than the Greeks are just barbarians. Now, those of you here know me and know me well enough, those may be watching around the world, might not, but, but most of you know how modest I am, right? Uh, um, uh, my modesty forbid me from saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The Greeks thought that until they came to Egypt. <laughs> and, and then they realized what civilization is all about. <laughs> I told you, my modesty forbids me, <laughs> but I just couldn't help it. And so, the glorified Jesus, as we have been seeing in every one of those letters, what He does, He takes a cultural characteristic of the city, uh, something about that city that that city is renowned for, and He takes that and He applies it to the church. Sometimes these characteristics are terrible, so he warns them against it. Sometimes the characteristic is good, he tells them to use it. And so, our precious Lord, in all seriousness, looks at the city, the city of Philadelphia, and he says, you are known, your city is renowned for being a gateway to the east. Uh, and it, so, he takes this and he says to them, the glorified Jesus said to his church in Philadelphia, in effect, your city, known for being a springboard from which you export Greek culture, Greek philosophy, and a Greek language, your city is the gateway uh, for uh, uh, preaching <laughs> the gospel according to the Greeks uh, or the Greek, the Greek culture and the Greek philosophy. Your city is known for being a missionary, sending city uh, of Greek thought to the rest of the world. Now, I have a far greater vision for you. I have a far greater message for you to propagate to the rest of the world. I have greater gospel than the Greek philosophy that you need to take to the ends of the world. Now, I have a much more serious message for you to take and spread around the world. Now, I have a far more tangible mission for you to undertake. Now, I have place, I'm placing in your heart, in your midst, and as your responsibility, a message of life and death, a message that you need to take to the rest of the world. Please don't miss this. Don't miss this. Christ opening doors of opportunity 
that he's placing before them. It is for sharing of the gospel. And my beloved friends, right now, we have unique opportunities for sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with our friends, the great news, the best news. Who does not want to know that their sins are forgiven and they've been set free from guilt and sin? Who does not want to know that when they close their eyes in death, they can be assured of eternal life in heaven? That is the good news of the gospel, and that is the message we have. And if there is a foundational verse in this letter, it's in verse 8. Underline it in your own Bible. Behold, I have set before you an open door. Beloved, you know and I know that God always provides opportunities for us to share our faith. God always opens doors that no one can shut. God always provides us with people who have open hearts and open eyes to hear the good news of the gospel. But the question is, listen to me, the question is, do we have the spiritual eyes to see it? Do we have the spiritual sensitivity to recognize it? Do we have the courage to seize the opportunity? Are we willing to walk through these open doors that God has opened before us? Oh, to be sure, the believers in Philadelphia, they were facing many obstacles. They were facing many difficulties. They were facing opposition. Uh, they probably had their own weaknesses that contend with. They probably had lots of handicap. They probably have lots of excuses as to why they cannot take advantage of these open doors. Here's a fact. These doors of opportunities will not remain open forever. They will not remain open for, forever. Please listen to me. I tell you, and I've been doing this for 35 years now, <laughs> every time I'm expressing an opinion, I let you know ahead of time that it's only an opinion. I would never put my own thoughts or my own ideas or my own opinion on par with thus says the Lord. When I expound the Word of God, I'll tell you I'm expanding the Word of God. But when I'm expressing an opinion, I only tell you ahead of time so you know. And my beloved friends, in the West, we have a very narrow opportunity to share Christ, to proclaim the truth, to speak openly, to exercise our freedom. These opportunities are disappearing by the minute. We are losing our freedom to proclaim Christ so fast that now it could be just months, not years, before we lose it altogether. It might not be long before when we speak, 
biblical truth can land preachers in jail as they're doing in Sweden and many other parts of Europe. When sharing Christ with your coworker or on your campus will be outlawed altogether. When your witness will cause you to be arrested. I don't believe that we are too far from this unless God intervenes. Why do you think we're praying for God to intervene? Please, please, please do not think that I'm exaggerating. I really am not. I, for one, as many of you know, those my friends know, I already made my calculations. I already, I'm prepared for whatever comes. But why wait? Now is the time. When I hear God's people are going everywhere, they are going everywhere except the church. Oh, they're fearful to go to church. They're in the ball games. They are in the parties. And they're happy to display that on Instagram. I know there's some people watching us in the Middle East and in North Africa on Kingdom Set right now. They're watching us around the world where they cannot go to church. There are some people who are watching us at home who cannot be here physically or because of whatever causes. I understand that. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people who are physically able, but they refuse to go to church. They rather sit in their pajamas and sip coffee and watch a computer. Beloved, beloved, this is the time. This is the time when we need to boldly and lovingly and thoughtfully proclaim Christ. This could not be pleasing to the Lord. The time is now. The opportunity is now. The open door is here. Soon your witness will be outlawed. Soon your freedom will be curtailed. Soon the door will be closed. The door of opportunity will be shut. Question, why are these doors that are open now? For possibly the last time. Listen to me. Because Jesus is the only one who has the master key. That's why he has the keys of David. He has the master key. He's the one who opened the door for these opportunities. And what does that mean? That when we soon lose our freedom, when we soon lose our religious liberty, when we soon lose the chance to proclaim the gospel, it will be because Jesus shut that door. Not the politicians on the right or the left. And not the government. Not even those who are God-haters, not the militant groups. No, 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 no. They are mere instruments in God's hand. Probably some of you are watching and you may be screaming at the computer screen. Don't scream at it. Scream at me. You may be saying, Michael, but why? Why would God shut those doors? 
I want to tell you why. Listen to me very carefully. What I'm giving you is from the Word of God. Because God has infinite patience with His unfaithful, slothful children. But that patience is limited. It will soon come to an end. As if God is saying, you did not want to go to church? (laughs) I will shut the churches with a virus. You don't want to witness? I will make it possible, impossible and illegal to witness. You don't want to intercede and pray and walk through the doors that I have opened. I will shut those doors. In other words, beloved, listen to me. God gives us more of what we want. You read it in the Scripture, in the first pages, in the first uh, plagues in Egypt, Moses who goes to Pharaoh back and forth and back and forth, and in the beginning it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and it kept saying, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then a little while later it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. What is happening? God is saying, Pharaoh, you harden your heart, I'll give you more of what you want. Jesus is the one who has all authority. How much of the authority? Therefore, go. That's what he said before he departed. He said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. Go. I remember clearly after September 11, the president of the United States said, we need to take the fight to the enemies. Why? Because he understood that to have victory, you cannot only be on the defensive. You cannot only be on the defense. You have to go on the offensive. Beloved, it is the same in the spiritual warfare. It's the same in the spiritual with, the, with those heavenly beings. The Bible said our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's not with people, but it is with principalities and power. So many Christians are sitting on their blessed assurances and saying, Oh, I'm under attack of Satan. I'm under attack of Satan. Let me tell you something. If you're not under attack of Satan, you're not doing anything worthwhile. (laughs) While in reality, we don't just sit there and say, Satan is attacking us. We need to storm Satan's stronghold. We need to invade Satan's territory. We need to go on the offensive. And do it in the name of him who said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And therefore, I can invade Satan's territory. I can rescue the perishing. We can heal the wounded. We can bind the broken hearts. And yes, we can set the captives free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We don't have much time left. A dear friend of mine about a year and a half ago from North Dakota called me. He said, Michael, the time is short. We need to do something. And because of him and his encouragement, we launched this uh, Finding True Peace campaign. 150,000 people have been in touch with us. And the thousands of them are now being uh, speaking regularly with so many of our pastors like Stan Carter and 
Mr. Cunningham over there and, and many people who are volunteering to talk to these people on the phone. We're making an impact in the world because one person saw the time is here, the opportunity is now, and God has opened all those doors. Listen to me. The enemies of the cross are constantly plotting. The enemies of the cross are constantly planning. The enemies of the cross are constantly strategizing. The enemies of the cross are deceiving so many unfaithful, weak Christians, and we have precious little time left to sit back and do nothing. Instead, instead, we're fighting with each other over some silly things, silly things. Families are divided, churches are divided. And Satan is loving it. He's loving it. He's laughing in his sleeves. The door will be shut. The opportunity will disappear. The favor we have now will be no more. But I need to hasten and say, to the faithful, obedient, conquering believer who will walk through these open doors, the resurrected Jesus, the glorified Jesus, the mighty Jesus gives a threefold promise. Threefold promise. I want you to look with me in the Scripture. The church in Philadelphia had three major obstacles. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. See, those things are not wasted on Jesus. He names the three major obstacles, and then he immediately gives them a threefold promise. First of all, they had little strength of their own. They were timid. They were reluctant. They were fearful. And secondly, the, the religious fanatics, the religious zealots were persecuting them, and they're turning them to the enemies, to, to, to the authorities. And thirdly, they have a huge threat hanging over their head. This huge tribulation is coming. Persecution is coming. And that is why our resurrected, glorified Jesus gave them threefold promises to match, to match every one of those three challenges. Only if they walk through the open doors, only if they shake off their reluctance and go forward in obedience, only then, only then, He will bless these faithful believers. Before I get to the threefold promise, I want to point something to you. Those of you who have it in your Bible, you can underline it. Every one of those threefold promises, I will, I will, I will. You notice that? Say those with me. I will vindicate you. I will protect you. I will keep you in the hollows of my hand. I will ensure very heaven itself for you. You know, I meet people all the time who are worried sick about their safety and their securities. They're worried about their children. They're worried about their grandchildren. Jesus promised that when we are faithful, when we are obedient, when we walk through the doors that he opens, he said, I will ensure your eternal safety. Nobody can touch you. Look at verse 10 with me. 
because you have kept my word, I will keep you. <laughs> because you have kept my word, I will keep you. You have Jesus' own word on it. Because you proclaimed my word, I will put a hedge of protection around you from enemy's attack. And secondly, he said, I will make these faithful, obedient believers who conquer in my name to be pillars in God's temple. Now, don't miss this. This is important. Why, why did he say that? Philadelphia was filled with temples, filled with temples. Nobody could go a few miles, not even half a mile, without a temple. And they know what these temples will look like. They all have pillars inside of those temples because these pillars spell out stability. These pillars spell out permanence. These pillars spell out immovability. These pillars spell out honor that can only come from God. See, pagan temples, when they build these pillars, they carve them in such a way as to honor a particular deity, a particular deity, one of the gods. And Jesus is saying to the faithful, obedient, conquering believers that they will have an eternal honor, not just a temporary one. But that's not all. Thirdly, to the faithful, conquering, obedient believers will not only live in safety, security, inner peace, and contentment. Not only here, but also all the way in heaven. But ultimately, Christ will give that person a new name. <laughs> He's going to give that faithful person a new identity. Why is he saying this? Because, you see, the city of Philadelphia changed names about two, three times. Every time there's a new emperor in Rome and they want to ingratiate themselves to the new emperor, they change the name of their city <laughs> to honor the emperor. And here Christ saying that he will shower them with a new name which is filled with his favor and great honor. Thank you. I think you said it for all of them. <laughs> My beloved friends, I want to conclude by telling you a true story. Many years ago, I read it, which took place in the early 20th century. There was a dear lady in England who dreamed of taking a train ride to see the countryside. She's never been on a train. Remember, those are the days when trains were not as prevalent as they are now. And one day, she had the chance to fulfill her dream. And so she went on the train, and when she got to her seat, she got busy arranging and rearranging her luggage. And then she took some time to try to adjust the shade just to get them right. Then she got into an argument with the conductor. And by the time she sat down to enjoy the ride, her station was called. Her station was called and had to get off. Now, I want to tell you this. Please, I want to appeal to you. If, if, I, if I, I literally beg you, I beg you, listen to what I'm saying. I'm almost finished. I'm begging you. Whether you're watching or here, 
I'm begging you, let me appeal to you. Do not get too bogged down and preoccupied with superficialities of life. The time is short. Don't get too preoccupied with the fleeting and the temporary. Don't get so preoccupied with the mask and the vaccines and get into each other's faces and fight over these things. Trust God. He will do far more greater than you can imagine if you put your trust in Him. Give Him room to work. Don't get too preoccupied with silly things that divide us and make Satan rejoice. Soon the train of life reaches its destination and regret washes over you regarding wasted opportunity. Don't let that happen, I plead with you. Come to the Lord now. Seize the opportunity now. Go through the open doors now. Experience His victory now. Now. The Bible often says, now is the hour. Now is the time. Don't put it off. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads in prayer. And if everybody, anybody here, please, this is between you and God. And if you want to say, God, I've missed opportunities in the past. I don't want to miss opportunities again. I want you to stand up and let me pray with you and for you. Lord, I don't want to miss out on your best for me. Let that be your response. If the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, just stand where you are. I'm not going to ask you to come down. There's not enough room here. But I'm going to ask you to stand where you are and say, Lord, I am here. Send me. I am here to obey you. I'm here to walk through these open doors. I'm here to accept the opportunities that you're providing me. Lord, forgive me for missed opportunities. I thank you that you're a forgiving God. I thank you that you're a gracious God. I thank you that you're a God of new beginnings. I thank you that you're a God who never get tired of us coming in and pleading with you and speaking to you and asking you. You're more than happy to answer when we pray according to your will. And so, Father, I pray for each individual who's standing before you. You know the hearts. You know what's going on in their lives. You know the families. You know the situation. I pray in Jesus' name. Bless them. Bless them. Bless them. Give them the courage. When Satan comes to discourage them, give them a word from the word in order to lift them up and elevate their vision to see the unseen and to believe the unbelievable, and to trust you with all of their heart. For, Father, I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus one day every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said amen. amen. Stand up. And